name. From 2 Samuel chapter 5, I want to read a few verses of Scripture. We're also going to read from Psalm 48. We're so grateful to see all of you here today. 2 Samuel 5 verse 4, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. And from Psalm 48, we're going to read one of the very beautiful psalms that the psalmist ever penned, and it's from Psalm 48, verse 1, and it simply says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. I would like to preach for a few moments this morning on the subject, the elevated city. The elevated city. Praise God. Could we lift up our voices unto the Lord and give him praise today? God, I thank you for every soul that has gathered into this place. Let your blessing be upon us. Let your blessing flow through the preaching of your word. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name, to draw closer to you. Help us to receive what you would have for us to know and help us to understand, oh God, what you would have for us to understand. Lord, let it be so according to your great name. In the precious and mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. In the name of the Lord, you may be seated. And I just want to say, Sister Nia Kelly, it is good to see you in the house of the Lord today. We love you. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> We're just so thankful that you are here. Our prayers are with you. We know the Lord uses you mightily, and we're so grateful to have you back home for a little while. Amen. Thank the Lord. <clears throat> I, want to, I want to deliver something to you that the Lord has laid upon my heart, and I want to share this with many throughout the body of Christ, Lord willing, but I want to make sure that we understand it right here at home. And it's a, it's a beautiful principle in the word of the Lord. But the, the passage of Scripture that we read in 2 Samuel 5 is also told in 1 Chronicles 11. And it has to do with David the king. David was anointed king, as you may recall, if, if you aren't familiar with his story. Uh, the prophet Samuel anointed him after the Lord rejected Saul as king over Israel. And, and the prophet Samuel anointed him at the house of Jesse by direction of the Lord to be the king over Israel. So David was anointed to be king, and he was anointed to be king when he, when he ventured out onto that battlefield. He had the anointing of the king upon him. And uh, there was an anointing of God that rested upon him even though it had not yet been manifest that he would take the throne he was still anointed as king. And it is possible to have an anointing upon your life and still be in what I'll call a holding pattern. And so David had this anointing, but he was in this holding pattern. But 
uh, it would soon be evident through the victories that God would give him that he was rising to the surface as the next king of Israel. And this, of course, this, of course, caused great envy from Saul, and there was war between Saul and David, and Saul brought a tremendous amount of uh, anger against David and, and, and an irrational envy that he was determined to stop him from taking the throne of Israel, uh, but it was the Lord's will, and you can't stop the Lord's will. And so while David was a fugitive on the run, he was still anointed. And the day finally came that all had been rectified and uh, Saul was now off of the scene and David kept a good spirit through all of that process. He kept a good attitude. He never raised his hand against Saul. And the time came that, uh, that David was anointed king and the Bible says they anointed him to be king over Judah in Hebron. And he was king over Judah in Hebron for seven years. He was king over Judah in Hebron. Uh, and, and that's interesting. God told him to go to Hebron. Now, he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the king over all of Israel. But he was anointed by the people to be the king over Hebron for seven years. And sometimes there's a difference between the anointing of God and the anointing of people. And, and, but, but you just let the process unfold and the anointing of God will be manifest. Keep a good spirit and the anointing of God will be manifest. And so he's anointed king over Judah in Hebron for seven years. And while he is uh, there in Hebron for seven years, the end of that seven years, which I think is an interesting number, a very interesting number that he would be king over Hebron. It was uh, the number of completion. And when the time was complete, David is now going to, to step into a new season. And the elders of Israel come to Hebron from Jerusalem. Now, God had told David to go to Hebron, but perhaps it was so there could be a healing to take place after the enmity between Saul and David. But nonetheless, after seven years were finished, here came the elders of Israel to David. And they approached him and said, listen, we know that you are to be the next king of Israel. And you really, that anointing has been evident even while Saul was king, that anointing was evident. And we believe that you are to be the next king of Israel and we believe that you've been down here in Hebron long enough. And that is time for you to come on up to Jerusalem and become the king over Israel. And so David agreed. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. When you, when you mention Jerusalem to David, you're talking about something special. And I, I want you to know that today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Jerusalem. And when I talk to you about Jerusalem or Salem or the city of God or Zion or Mount Zion or the city of David, I'm talking about the same place. The Bible calls it all of those things. And when you talk about it to David, you're, you're, you're getting close to his heart now. There's a reason it was called the city of David. And the Bible says that David would say things such as, Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, 
the tribes of the Lord under the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. There are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions sake, will I now say, peace be within thee because of the house of the Lord our God I will seek thy good. Do you know how he opened that psalm? You're familiar with how he opened that psalm. That whole psalm was about Jerusalem, but the very first line of that psalm were these words. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. And this was David's heartbeat. So when they come from Jerusalem to Hebron, here he stands in this will of God, but it is not the completed will of God. The completed will of God will have David in Jerusalem reigning over all of Israel. But he is currently in Hebron reigning over just Judah. But the Lord has plans, and I'm gonna tell you something, the Lord has plans for your life. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You might be in Hebron over Judah right now, but God has designs for you to be in Jerusalem over Israel in his perfect will and providence. And so David goes up to Jerusalem, this city that he prays for its peace, this city that he was glad when they said, let's go there, this city that he said, peace shall be within thy walls and, and that those who love thee prosper. David comes up to this city, but what is interesting about this city when he arrives is that it is not called Jerusalem when he gets there. Jerusalem means the city of peace or the teaching of peace. It has to do with a place where peace abounds. Jerusalem is the city of peace. And it is the place that God has designated as, as his abode and his abide. And, and yet when David arrives there, it is not at all a city of peace. In fact, the Bible says that it doesn't even carry the name Jerusalem. Oh, he arrived at Jerusalem, but it was not called Jerusalem. It was called Jebus when he got there. And it was called Jebus because it was inhabited by the Jebusites. The Jebusites owned it. They controlled it. They inhabited the land that God had promised to his people. And David is looking and surveying. He, it all looks so familiar to him. He knows what it's supposed to be, but that's not how he finds it. It is Jebus. Jebus means trodden down, trodden down. That's what Jerusalem had become under the influence of the Jebusites. It had become trodden down. And David arrives at a city that is supposed to be filled with abounding peace, that is supposed to be filled with songs of joy and gladness. The ransomed of the Lord are prophetically, they are going to go up to this city from the ends of the earth. But when he arrives, it is trodden down by the Jebusites. Now the Lord had told Israel, he had told all of their prophets and patriarchs that the Jebusites would have to be overthrown. 
It wasn't just the Jebusites that would have to be overthrown. He said it's going to be the Perizzites you have to overthrow. You're going to have to overthrow the Hivites. You're going to have to overthrow the Hittites. You're going to have to overthrow the Amorites. You're going to have to overthrow the Canaanites. And, and last, but certainly not least, he told them, you're going to have to overthrow the Jebusites. And they were able to overthrow the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites. But it was really hard for them to overthrow the Jebusites, those who would get into that city and tread it under their feet and keep it from becoming the elevated posture that God had intended for it to be. And they, when David arrived, they looked at David and said, you can't come in. They told David, you cannot come into this city. And David is looking at them saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I know you're not standing there telling me I'm anointed to be in this city. I have promises hanging over my head. I have prophetic fuel to my engine and you're going to tell me that I can't come into this city. And the Jebusites had some track record of people trying to uproot them and being unsuccessful in doing so. In Judges chapter 1, verse 21, it says that the Benjamites, the tribe of Benjamin, tried to overthrow the Jebusites and could not do it. And so they just had to be content with living with the Jebusites. And the Jebusites began to trod down the city. It was trodden down even while the Benjamin tribe lived there. Jo Joshua chapter 15 verse 63 says that the tribe of Judah tried to drive out the Jebusites. And the tribe of Judah could not drive out the Jebusites. So the tribe of Judah just had to be content with living in a city that was designed for peace, a city that was designed for joy, a city that was designed to be a place where all nations of the earth could find rest, but it couldn't because it was trodden down by the Jebusites. And the tribe of Judah just had to be content to live among the Jebusites. So the Jebusites are telling David, Judah couldn't do it, Benjamin couldn't do it, and guess what? You're not going to do it. And David said, that's where you're wrong. Because this is a new day, and this is a new hour, and we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we're stepping into the promises of God. We're stepping into the glory of the Lord. And I would to God that somebody in this house would get a Davidic conviction inside of you. Step into a Davidic anointing that you understand I have the Holy Ghost down deep in my soul. And I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And there is no reason why I shouldn't be able to have joy in my home and peace in my marriage. And there shouldn't be love within the boundaries and the context of my life. 
Some of you have watched generation after generation try to get into a good posture only to fail. They've overcome certain enemies. They've overcome the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Hittites, but they just can't seem to get rid of the Jebusites. They've been able to overcome certain things, but they're these hangers-on that just will not let the city of God be what the city of God is supposed to be. And I, and I want you to understand as I'm talking to you today, I am referring to this Old Testament passage that talks about an old Jerusalem. But you need to know that the old Jerusalem is referring to a day that is coming. It is giving us a template and an understanding of what God has in store for us. So there is a natural Jerusalem and there is a spiritual Jerusalem. And there is an earthly Jerusalem and there is a heavenly Jerusalem. There is an old Jerusalem and there is a new Jerusalem. And I've come to tell you today that God has, hallelujah, he has prepared for us a new Jerusalem. And I'm just about tired of the enemy trying to tread down what God has promised his people. And we might have overcome some things, but we've got to understand God didn't come just to give us victory over a few things. He came to give us total victory. He came to give us complete victory. Ah, he came to give us perfect peace. I said he came to give us perfect love. He came to give us joy even. Hallelujah. In the midst of sorrow. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to understand. The Bible says great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness beautiful for situation. That phrase always leapt out at me, beautiful for situation. It was so poetic and prophetic, and I just never all of my life could get away from it. Beautiful for situation. We don't really talk like that in our everyday language, so it leapt out at me. And it's one of the reasons why I do like KJV, because it will say things that just leap out at you. You know, you know, I, I, I'm glad that I, I don't like just saying, well, you might cry at night, but tomorrow you'll feel better. I don't like saying that. I like saying weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. I don't know. It just says it a certain way. And the, the poetic, prophetic nature of this statement, beautiful for situation, just, just popped off the page. And I wanted to understand more deeply what was the psalmist saying. And, I, and I'll tell you what he was saying. He was saying, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. That's a reference to Jerusalem. In the mountain of his holiness, that's a reference to Jerusalem. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Mount Zion is a reference to Jerusalem. The city of the great king is a reference to Jerusalem. But in the middle of it all, he says, it is beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth. Beautiful for situation is a simple reference to the elevation of the city. Topographically, geographically, it is the elevation of the city. And truly, if you were to go to Jerusalem, and we must pray today for the peace of that city. It is under fire right now. 
It is under attack right now. It is the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War in 1973. And I hope you're paying attention and you're not one of these scoffers walking about saying, where then is the promise of his coming? Because we are at the door, ladies and gentlemen. And you may have heard it all your life and your parents may have heard it all their life. But I'm going to tell you, a day is under the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is as under the day. And don't you grow complacent and don't you grow weary in well-doing. It is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now is your salvation nearer than when you believed. Hallelujah. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, they would take you into the city and as you come through the tunnel, they would stop and they would let you off into this little area where you can get a beautiful picture of yourself with the city behind you. And the city is elevated in the backdrop. It has this magnificent elevation to it. It is beautiful. It is situated in a beautiful way. And David was saying it is beautiful for situation. But, but he was saying the topographical and the geographical beauty of the city is not simply for its natural beauty, but it is the joy of the whole earth and the natural beauty and the topography of the city is to demonstrate a beauty of a spiritual nature. There are certain challenges to Jerusalem. Jerusalem doesn't even exist without miracles taking place. All of its water supply is miraculous. All of its economy is miraculous. All of its industry is miraculous. It is not a city that man is able to take credit for. If it had not been for the Lord, there would be no Jerusalem. And I want you to know if it had not been for the Lord, there would be no church. But God has ordained us to be an elevated city. God has ordained us to be a beautiful city. The joy of the whole earth. Hallelujah. I want you to know that just as David walked upon that city and found it called Jebus, trodden down by the Jebusites, so many times the church allows ourselves to be trodden down by principalities that we should have victory over. Now, now our fathers gained victory over the Perizzites and the Hivites and Hittites and Amorites. And, and, and I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, God forbid we should ever let the Jebusites, and I'm speaking of a spiritual nature, there are spiritual influences that would love to try to tread down the promises of God and keep them into the dirt and dust of a fleshly world. But you and I have to understand that we have been anointed of God for this purpose and for this moment to rise up and step in to the city that is elevated from the earth. It's an elevated city. It's beautiful for situation. It is not meant to be caught up in the debris of this world. In fact, Jesus said, long after David encountered the Jebusites, Jesus said that the city of Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That's something we're watching happen right now in Jerusalem. They are still struggling with the Gentiles in Jerusalem. And it is a natural depiction of what can happen in the spirit. 
And so many times we as the church allow the mentality of the Gentiles to get into the city that is to be elevated above the earth. We are not a city trodden down by worldly philosophies. We are not to be a people that are trodden down by vain philosophies of men. We are not to be trodden down by false doctrines, doctrines of devils, heresies, ungodly teachings. We are to be an elevated city. Jesus said that you are a city on a hill. You're not a city down low where nobody can see you. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hid. You are a city that everyone should be able to look upon and recognize that this is a different kind of a city. And I want you to know people know that about Jerusalem. That's why everybody wants it. Everybody wants Jerusalem. And the only thing that gives Jerusalem its, its ability to stand is the statehood of Israel. That's why so many nations in the Middle East will not acknowledge the statehood of Israel. Because they know as long as Israel is a state, then Jerusalem is protected. And I want you to know that Israel represents Jesus the Christ, the Israel of God. And Jerusalem represents the church. And the only thing that protects the church is the Lordship of Christ. And the moment that we begin to deviate from the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we lose our protection. I'm going to tell you, we become like every other city, trodden down by the Gentiles, overtaken by the devil, overwhelmed by hell, overwhelmed by the grave, overwhelmed by the terrible ideologies of this world. The moment you get away from the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know that the Lord our God is one. Here. Here. I want you to listen to the urgency in the Shema. Come away from social media. Come away from mainstream media. Come away from false teachings of this world. Hear, listen, he that hath an ear. Open up your mind, open up your heart. Oh, hear, and, and, that, and that one letter word, oh. Listen to the urgency of God. Oh, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, if we will hold on that the Lord our God is one Lord and him only shall you serve. You shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to know that's the only thing that protects the church. That's why there are many who claim to be the church, but they are drifting right along with the spirit of Antichrist down the river of this world's systems. They're drifting with it and they'll go to hell with it unless they repent and turn from their wicked ways. But I want you to know that when you plant your feet in the Word of God and say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, He alone is the Lord and there is not another. I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I'm going to tell you there is no weapon formed against the church that can prosper.
prosper. I want you to know that there is no devil in hell that can overcome the church of the living God. The Jebusites trod down the things of God. Jesus said that the city of Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. I want you to know that there are certain ideologies, I say of the Gentiles, of the world and the world system, that if it gets into the church, it will trod down the church in its ability to live according to the promise and prevent it from elevating to its proper place in God. Jesus dealt with this with his disciples. His disciples began to see the handwriting on the wall, realizing that his kingdom is about to be established. And they got a little nervous and they said, okay, well, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Who, who's who's going who's gonna to sit at your right hand and who's going to sit at your left hand? Who's going to get the positions? Who's going to get the titles? Who's going to get the credit? Who's going to get the honor? Who's going to be elevated in the eyes of the people? And Jesus said, stop it. You're acting like the Gentiles. You're letting the mentality and the philosophy of the Jebusites live among you. You're, you're vying for position and you're vying for title. Stop. Don't let yourself become trodden down by the Gentiles. And hear me, Tree of Life Church, hear me, Body of Christ. We cannot let the mentality of this world get into the church of the living God. We can't let the lust of the flesh get into the church of the living God. We can't let the lust of the eyes get in the church of the living God. We can't let the pride of life get in the church of the living God. We can't let the love of money get in the church of the living God. We can't let worldly thinking and hypocritical behavior get into the church. We've got to drive out the Parisites and the Hivites and the Hittites and yes, the Jebusites. But here's the problem. The Jebusites don't seem as bad as the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Hittites. Benjamin and Judah, they said, you know, can't drive them out. I guess they're not so bad to live with. And so before long, we start thinking that way about the church. We start saying things like, it's that way in every church. No, you're just living among the Jebusites. And you're letting the elevated city become trodden down by the Gentiles. Or you start saying things like, like there's going to be division in every church. I rebuke that doctrine of devils in Jesus' name. No, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. It's like the dew that descended from Mount Hermon. Hallelujah. Mount Zion, where the Lord commanded the blessing. Amen. No, this is an elevated city. We don't have division in the church. We don't believe in division in the church. We don't believe in lukewarm believers in the church. We don't, no, we don't believe in it. We don't believe in fornication in the church. We don't believe in adultery in the church. We don't believe in idolatry in the church. Idols of the heart, idols of people. Hallelujah. You'll have to pardon me. I feel the passion of God on me right now. 
I feel the passion of God for his bride. I feel the passion of God for his people. You're an elevated city. Come out. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. You're an elevated city. Notice the elevation language of the scriptures. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Notice the elevation language of the scriptures. When you begin to see these things come to pass, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. The dead in Christ shall rise. The dead shall be raised. If this spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. We're an elevated city. We're not trodden down. We're elevated by the power of God. Ha. So the Lord said to John, the angel of the Lord said to John the Revelator, Hey, come here. I want to show you something. I've shown you the lamb in the midst of the throne. I've shown you the lamb who is worthy to open the books and loose the seals thereof. I've shown you the lamb, but now I want to show you the lamb's wife. You hear me, apostolic Pentecostal people? It's one thing to have a revelation of the lamb, but God wants to show you the lamb's wife. The lamb is him. The lamb's wife is us. It's an incomplete revelation to only understand the lamb. He is one with his bride. you to know that it is the spirit and the bride who beckon. Come, come. Now, it's one thing to look at the world and say, behold the Lamb of God. We're good at that. But we need the world to be able to say to their friends, behold the Lamb's wife. She is a virtuous woman. Her price is far above rubies. Her hands are not idle. She riseth while it is yet dark. She clotheth her children in scarlet. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Behold the Lamb's wife. And this is what the angel said to John the Revelator. He said, she is, if you want to see her, you can't stay down there, John. You got to come up. Hither, you got to go with me to a great and high mountain. If you want to see the lamb's wife, you've got to get elevated to see she's a city. John the Revelator is up in this great and high mountain and he looks down upon a holy city. And he says it was a new Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem helped me 
in understanding and see. See, when, when David talked about the old Jerusalem, he said, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. Hallelujah. Is, the, is Mount Zion upon the sides of the north, the city of the great king? And then he finished up the psalm by saying, walk about Zion and tell of her towers and mark well her bulwarks. He was doing that because he was, he was letting them know everything that's here is natural, but it's going to show up spiritually. You've got to understand the natural so that you can understand the spiritual. Listen, let me hear what I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen. He looked at Jerusalem, that holy city, and, and he said, he said, it's a city that lieth four square. Now, now we, 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 we have not come to old Jerusalem. We're looking for new Jerusalem. We have not come unto the mountain that did burn with darkness and blackness and tempest. We have come unto Mount Zion, the city of our God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the spirits of just men made perfect. An innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That's where we have come. He said, it's a city that lieth four square. And he tells us what the four square is. It's four square dimensions. These are the dimensions. He said there was the length and there was breadth or width. And he said there was height. And then he said there was depth. Yeah. Now, he said the length and the breadth were equal. How long it was is how wide it was. And then he said the height of it, the wall was 144 cubits high. That's 12 times 12. Any mathematicians we got in the house? 144 cubits, that's 12 times 12. He said the, the depth, the foundation of the wall went 12 foundations deep. And upon the foundations, the 12 foundations were the 12 names of the apostles. So you have 12 names of the apostles on 12 foundations. That's 12 times 12. So you've got the length and the width that are equal, and you've got the height and the depth that are equal to this new Jerusalem. Paul talked to the church at Ephesus and explained to them the length and the breadth and the height and the depth. And he, he said, this is what it is. He said, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. And I want, you to, I want you to comprehend with all saints what is the length and the breadth and the height and the depth. That you may know the love of God which passeth knowledge and that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. He said these are the four dimensions, the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth. These are the four dimensions, his love. His love, his love, his love is the four square dimension of the city. And his love is first dimensionally, it is length. Second dimensionally, it is width. Third dimensionally, it is height. And fourth dimensionally, it is depth. The first dimension of God's love is his love for us. It's just length. 
He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You cannot build up this elevated city if you don't have the first dimension rooted and grounded in your spirit. That's why right now we have little children in the other part of Tree of Life Church building campus. We have them right now singing, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Hallelujah. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is. You want to know why? We want them to be rooted and grounded in love. We want them to sing that song in divorce court one day. We hope they don't even get there, but if they do, we want them to remember, yes, Jesus loves me. If they're ever in a hospital waiting room, waiting for test results, we want them to remember, yes, Jesus loves me. When they've made the worst mistake of their life and they're afraid to come back to church because they're afraid we're going to be just like every other church. We want them to remember, no, this is an elevated city. Come on home. Jesus loves you. is the first dimension of this city and if that if that is not in place the city does not elevate and it doesn't lie four square but the length of it comes but the width of it is equal to the length the width of this this city and the second dimension is also of his love but it's his love for others And John said the, the, the width of it was equal to the length of it. This is why Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We have trouble loving one another when we don't understand how loved we are by him. Don't you know that's what we're trying to impress upon you when we tell you of the blood of Jesus? We're not trying to paint a gory picture. We're trying to tell you that he loves you even unto the obedience to death. He loves you to death, not yours, his. Hallelujah. First dimension, he loves me. Second dimension, because I know he loves me, now I have love and I'm able to give it. And the width is equal to the length. So, so these are two dimensions, but it's not spatially sound because it doesn't have three dimensions. Yet, the third dimension is the height. It's when we love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's when we are filled with all the fullness of God. Hallelujah! I love him. That's the third dimension. Because he first loved me. That's the first dimension. I only have the height because I have the length and I only have the height because I have the width. And it's the love he gave me that I can give you that we can give him. 
In this is found his compassion. In, his, in this is found obedience to his commands. In this is found consecration. He loves us. We love each other. And we love him. This is what makes us a forgiving church. This is what makes us a holy church. This is what makes us an obedient to Christ church. This is what makes us shun the world. Why would you want the rudiments of this world when you can live in an elevated city? But the fourth dimension is the depth. Now, Einstein was scratching on this. And in his little laboratory experiments and thought experiments, he was looking at this and he said, I'm recognizing that there are four dimensions. Three dimensions have rightly been described as space, which is length and breadth and height. But there's a fourth dimension, he said, and it's called time. Paul and John were way ahead of him. They understood this long before Einstein ever came into an understanding of it. They were describing it, length, breadth, height. What he called time, they called depth. And so I'm looking at it saying, well, what is depth? How is depth time? And how is time depth? And why would you call time depth? And can depth even be called time? When you get into the understanding of that word Paul used as depth, it means profound. And so in the same way you could say, wow, that was a profound thought. You could just as easily say that thought had a lot of depth to it. And you'd be saying the same thing. But the word etymologically is what helps us understand its meaning. Profound or pre-found or before found or before foundation. The depth that Paul and John were talking about was the depth of time that existed before time even began. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want you to understand that what we have today is not something that came about recently. It was not done in a corner. This was done before the foundation of the world. The depth of this city, the foundation of this city has its roots before time. Before foundation. It is profound. Hallelujah. What happened before the foundation of the world? The Bible tells us. The Bible says that from before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Now let's go back to the book of Revelation. Let's go back to John in this high and holy mountain. Let's, let's, let's look through his eyes at this holy city. And this is what he said. He said of this holy city, he said, there's no sun there. There's no moon there. There's no need of the sun, no need of the moon for the lamb is the light. So before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. I'm going to tell you when the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Here's where it happened. When the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. In the mind and logos of God, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Now here's the thing. 
the, the, the speed of light is an interesting thing. It's, it's just an interesting concept because a photon coming to the earth from the sun, if the photon comes to the earth from the sun, it takes eight minutes for the photon of light to reach the earth. But not from the photon's perspective, from the earth's perspective. From the earth's perspective, it's taking eight minutes for the photon of light to reach the earth. But from the photon of light's perspective, no time has elapsed and no distance has occurred. It is traveling at the speed of light. The moment it is emitted, it is received. So what happens on earth happens in the context of time, but what happens in the light is instantaneous. So very literally, when God said, let there be light, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. And it took 4,000 years for time to catch up with what God did at the very beginning of time. So what is time? Because I'm going to tell you, God did it. God did it. You better not buy into this world because it is already done. It is already finished. What is time then? Here's what time is. Time is a space of grace. It is a capsule whereby man can decide, do I want it or not? And some of you are messing around undecided. Are you kidding me? It's already done. It's already finished. But your salvation is not predetermined. Your salvation is not predestined. It is not predetermined. God created time so you could have a choice. But the moment he spoke it, it is done. I'm going to tell you, the fourth dimension is the depth. And the fourth dimension is this. It has to do with time. And let me tell you the time of this city. Here it is. The, the length is his love for us. The width is his, our love for his love in us for others. And the third dimension is the height. It's his love in us for him. The fourth dimension is time and it's now. Glory. Now. Yeah. Now. Now is the accepted time. Now. Yeah. Now is the accepted time. And when you enter into the four square dimension of this city, you're stepping into the light. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible tells us walk in the light as he is in the light. Don't get caught up in the rudiments of this world. This isn't a trodden down city. This is an elevated city. This is a heavenly Jerusalem. And I'm going to tell you something. When you, when you step into the light, you're traveling. You know, some would say it's called the speed of light. John didn't call it the speed of light. John called it God's speed. When you step into the light, you're traveling at God's speed. Hallelujah. You're able to operate in a different dimension. Now, we've got this natural body right now. But when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, let me tell you how fast it's going to happen. It's not going to take several minutes for it to occur. It's going to be in a moment. In the eye. God, in the twinkling of an eye. Why? Because you will be translated and you will be in the light as he is in the light. You will be unfettered Amen. by this natural body. 
And if you want to experience what that can feel like in this natural body, here's what you do. Pray. When you step into prayer, you start traveling at God's speed. You're not bound. You're not bound by the parameters of this earth anymore when you step into prayer. You, listen, listen, the speed of light can, tra- can absolutely travel across the universe at an instant. The same is true when you step into God's speed. When you step, I can get into prayer. I can go into prayer right now and I can start praying for my grandchildren 40 years from now. And what's happening? I'm in God's speed right now. I know I've got this natural body and I'm still on this earth and the resurrection isn't until the Lord decides for it to be. But I can get into this city. It's an elevated city. It's the church, the general assembly of the firstborn. I can step into the light. And I, listen, I'll go back, I'll go back 15 years. And I'll pray for stuff that happened 15 years ago. Say, Lord, forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And I'm going to tell you that the power of God will touch what happened 15 years ago. And the power of God will put a hedge around people 20 years from now, should the Lord tarry. You hear what I'm telling you? It's an elevated city. Jesus said, behold, before Abraham was, I am. He said, guess what? I go to prepare a place. That's space. I go to prepare a place. It's got three dimensions, length, breadth, height, that where I am, that's the fourth dimension. There you may be. Space is what he has prepared us Present there is the fourth dimension. See, even right now, there are three dimensions. There's the longitudinal dimension. There's the latitudinal dimension. There's the height dimension. I'm here preaching to you today because of of the three dimensions. You knew where to come because of the longitude and the latitude and the height of, of, of coming onto this property and me stepping up onto these steps and you descending down that slope. That's what we call space and it's three dimensions. But there's a fourth dimension called time. And if we didn't all show up at the same time, we wouldn't be here. And what God wants his church to know is this, it's time. It's time to forgive. It's time to preach. It's time to pray. It's time to worship. It's time to get dedicated. It's time to get baptized in Jesus' name. It's time to let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. It's time. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Could you stand with me right now and lift up your hands unto the Lord? Lift up your voice unto the God of your salvation. Come on, lift up a praise unto God. Lift up a praise unto God.
I want some folks that are ready right now. I want you to come forward. You're ready right now. You're not playing games anymore. You're not playing games anymore. I'm ready right now. I want it now. Come on, some of you are still trying to decide if you're going to forgive folks. You better get done playing those games. It is high time to awake out of sleep. Some of you are trying to decide if you're going to live holy. It's, 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 it's being, we're beyond that. We're beyond that. We are beyond that. It is time. The fullness of time is coming. You can look to the Middle East and you can see that the process of time is wrapping up and that the fullness of time is coming. I want you to know time is almost over. The closer we get to the speed of light, time simply stops. The Bible says time shall be no more. Time is wrapping up. Why do you dwell in darkness when you can live in the light? Come on, lift up your hands, lift up your hearts, lift up your praise unto God. There's a country far beyond the starry sky. There's a city where the Lamb is the light. I've a mansion over there. It's free from toil and care. I am going where the Lamb is the light. Oh, come on, God's elevating you right now. He's lifting you up out of the depression. He's lifting you up out of the anxiety. He's lifting you up out of the mundane and the mediocre. He's lifting you up out of the sin and degradation. Come on, let him elevate you. Let him lift up your faith. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, your everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty. 